Have a seat, everybody. Kids, you can be dismissed now. I say this almost every week, but this is pretty great to watch all these kids run out of here. We are in John chapter 4, if you want to uh, turn there. The verses will also be on the screen above me, and uh, we also have Bibles in the back. If you are here today and don't have a Bible, or you're here today and forgot to bring yours, or if you're here today and you don't have an ESV version of the Bible, uh, those are back there for you to use today or to take with you to keep uh, as our gift to you. So um, they're on the table back behind you if you're interested. Uh, John chapter 4 is where we are today, and I'm... Like when we decided to, to walk through the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, um, was like I was really excited about it because it's, it's one of my favorite stories. And the cool thing about it now is that it's the, what God has shown me this week through my study of it is uh, something I've never really seen before. And so really excited about it. As always, when, when I come and, and teach a familiar passage and if you've been in church much at all, you've probably heard of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And so it's a very familiar story to uh, most people who've been in church much. Um, so I want to ask you every time we do that to, to lay aside what you think you know about the story of the woman at the well and engage what God has for us this morning with it. So um, let's pray and, and get to work because we've got a, got a lot of background stuff to get to before we actually get to the verses. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as a body of believers to seek to hear your gospel, Father. And I pray that you would enlighten our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. God, I pray that you would bind us, bind the enemy, and free us from distractions so we might have an encounter with you, Father. As in the story, you have orchestrated events so that we might come here this morning and be prepared to have an encounter with you and your gospel. Father, I pray you would open our eyes to that fact, God, that none of us is here by mistake. We're all here for a purpose, and that purpose is to have you engage us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. So, throughout the, uh, the course of our study so far, this is our eighth sermon in the, in the Gospel of John, um, and we're going all the way through probably right up until Thanksgiving time. Um, the end of the Gospel of John, John lays out the, the purpose verse for what he's saying and what he said. And he says, all these things I've said to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everything that we've done up until this point, the first seven messages of the Gospel that we've done, have been sort of big picture themes of Jesus as the Christ. And again, let me define Christ. It's not his last name. It is his title. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. God decided before time began that this is how things were going to happen, that how he was going to redeem mankind to himself was by sending this particular man to come to this particular place and live the life that he lived and change us. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the long-anointed one. Right? So... The gospel of John's purpose is so that the reader, the hearer, might engage with the fact that this man, Jesus, is in fact the Christ that God had promised long ago. And so it's been, so far, the first seven sermons have been about sort of big picture, understanding the, the bigness of Jesus 
being the Christ. We talked about several miracles that he's done. Um, we, we talked about the uh, changing water into wine at, at the wedding. And that's a, a big picture sign that Jesus is the Christ for everybody to see. And then he encountered the, the money changers in the temple and he threw their, ta- their tables over and got really angry. And that showed us that the Christ is really focused and it, it's really important for him to, to speak his gospel. But today, this morning, is, is more personal. And Jesus is the Christ for the world. But the thing that I, I want us to walk away from is we encounter this story with Jesus and the woman at the well. Here's the, here's the fact. Jesus is the Christ for you. For your own personal heart. Jesus wants to convince your heart that he is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, anointed one, to free your heart. Like we, a lot of times, especially as we, we begin to see Easter, we think like big picture stories that Jesus walked to the cross. And, and by the way, Good Friday is coming up in a couple of weeks and we're going to have a, a, a service at Trinity. We're going to gather together with a couple of different churches and, and have a Good Friday service. Um, invite you all to that. 6.30, Good Friday. It's going to be completely different than you've ever seen. It's a journey with Christ to the cross. We're going to engage each particular thing that he did. The garden, the trials, the, the scourging, the beating, and the cross itself. Uh, We'll kind of journey throughout their church into a different room and hear a different story as we walk along kind of time frame. So I um, invite you to come be a part of that. But the idea as we engage Good Friday, as we engage Easter, we kind of begin to see these, these like big pictures that he died for me, he died for you, he died for everybody, he died for all of mankind. But here in John chapter 4, the gospel is Christ engaging a particular person and what he engages her with we all need to be engaged with. So I want to give you guys a little bit of background about, she is a Samaritan woman. I want to give you guys a background about Samaria. Um, you guys all know King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, and he had a son named Solomon. Solomon built the temple. And during Solomon's reign as king of Israel, they split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem, and that was called Judah. The southern kingdom became Judah. And their capital was Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was called, still remained Israel. And the capital of their northern kingdom, Israel, was Samaria. That's where we get Samaritans from. And what happened in 722 BC, the Assyrians, who were longtime rivals, longtime at war with the nation of Israel, attacked the northern kingdom, attacked Israel, and took it over. And they brought all their people in. And deported most of the Jews. Some of the Jews remained. And they intermarried with these Assyrians. And they became Samaritans. And that's who this woman is. And so it's really important to understand. To to see the background of of what's happening here. Is that this woman is a Samaritan. So in the eyes of, of the Jews. Where Jesus is one of those. And his disciples are those. And anyone who encounters those people. Understand that this is someone who would divided from us, but then worse than that, there are sworn enemies came in and attacked them, and then they intermarried with them. And so this woman at the well is a product of that intermarriage. But it's not just this intermarriage stuff, but it's also the Samaritans 
by virtue of the Assyrians coming in and taking them over, had kind of had this syncretistic practice of their religion. So they took some elements of Judaism with some elements of paganism that the Assyrians brought to them, and they melded those together, and that became their religion. This is this woman's religion, right? And for them, for the, the Judean Jews, the Judah Jews in the southern kingdom, their place to worship was the temple, and it was located in Jerusalem. We've talked about that before. For the, the Samaritans, the northern kingdom people, the place that they worshipped was Mount Gezrim, okay? And this is where this thing takes place. This encounter takes place is at the foot of the mountain where the Samaritans would worship. And they wouldn't just worship the way the Jews would. They worshipped with this sort of quasi-Judaism stuff. And they would only adhere to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books. Everything else for this Samaritan woman and all Samaritans would have been heresy. So we're talking about the Psalms, Ruth, all these different... Everything after the first five books of the Bible is heresy to the Samaritan woman and everybody that's from the northern kingdom there because of this syncretistic practice that's happening. You with me? This is important for us to connect with because these people are, we got to keep you at an arm's length. And because we have to keep you at an arm's length, there's nothing that this Samaritan woman did apart from be born to her, to her mother and her father to own this, sort of pushed out into the margins. However, as we'll see as we walk along, there were some things that she did do This pushed herself out into the margins. But the fact is, Jesus is orchestrating events to encounter a woman who's been pushed out into the margins by things that she's done and by things that she didn't do. Right? It's important for us to connect with. So let's get into the heart of of this story and see this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman at the well who had all these things going against her. And now here she is engaged with God, Jesus, here in John chapter 4. Verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I want to input some stuff here. Whenever we see hours in Scripture, add six to it, and that's where you find yourself in our time frame. Okay? Sixth hour is then noon. So it's, and, and again, this is the desert. So what happens here happens in the middle of the desert at noon. So it's probably pretty hot. And the practice of these Samaritan people was to go to this well and get the water for the day, to drink, to bathe, to wash their clothing with. Any water that they would need, they would go to this well and get it at this time, all right? She goes at noon because She's in the margins because she's been marginalized by her society. 
And she's among the Samaritans. So it's, it's not, she's not marginalized by, birth, by virtue of, of birth. It's marginalized by virtue of what she's done. And I want, here's the thing. I want us to connect with this woman at the well. Because if we are to, to glean from this passage, what I believe God has us to glean from this passage, we need to connect with who she is. So she has made choices in her life. And we'll get to what those are in, in a bit as we go through this scripture. But I, I want us to see who she is and, and how she has marginalized herself by the choices that she's made and what that has done to her. This woman is a very lonely person. So much so that all the other women in the culture, in the society, would have gone at the break of dawn when it was cold, when it was cooler, and, and gone to this, to this well to get their water for the day. They would have gone in packs, in groups, in large groups of women. But here this woman is by herself in the heat of the day, and she goes there because no one wants to have anything to do with her. Have you guys ever seen a movie called The Help? Um, they're, they're, the, the main antagonist in the story is Hilly Holbrook. You guys remember her? She was like, I'm better than everybody, and like this southern woman, I'm better than everybody, and everyone else has to bow to me. That's who she was. There's another woman that was sort of a, a minor character, um, and uh, she was accused of having slept with Hilly's husband like years ago, and uh, nobody really knew if that had really happened or not. But more than that, she was just she was like not the Southern Belle. She was wild. She was weird. She was drunk a lot, and she was just crazy. And so, what happened? If you guys remember this movie, she was in the margins in that society. They would have parties. There's one particular scene. They had they were having this party. The the, the women were together um, playing cards, and she comes up and knocks on the door. And do you guys remember the scene? Hilly says, shh, everybody hide. And so they like all climb under the tables. And this woman walks around and sees them hiding and is knocking on the window. It's like, oh, hi, I see. She has no clue that these women are trying to hide from her. And then it kind of dawns on her. And then there becomes this scene where they close up of her face. She just kind of her shoulders and head drop. And she realizes that she's not welcome in this society. And this is the woman at the well. She long ago came to the realization she's not welcome in this society. There's, some, there's things about her that she's chosen, things about her that she hasn't chosen, that make her unwelcome in this society. And she's now in the margins. And we'll get to those choices here in just a bit. Verse 7, the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. I want to stop with verse 8. Verse 8 is really important because here is a fact, and I prayed this at the beginning. Jesus has orchestrated events in this story so that he might be alone with this woman at the well so that he could speak his truth to her. Here's the fact. Jesus has orchestrated events and will orchestrate events in the future to get alone with you and to speak to your heart. Every other instance that we've seen so far is big picture Jesus being the Christ. Here, Jesus has orchestrated the events. He sent his disciples away 
so that he could have a one-on-one with this woman who was in the margins, completely marginalized, and her heart filled with idols. We'll talk about that in a second, too. Her heart is filled with idols, and, and society has marginalized her, and now here's Jesus orchestrating events to get in her face. And I want you to know this fact. Jesus has orchestrated events and will continue to orchestrate events to get alone with you. This is where I want you to connect with the woman at the well. To speak the fact that he is the Christ, not just for all of mankind, but he is the Christ for you and your heart right now. And he wants to get rid of everything in there that's not him. You have a craving and a longing inside of your heart for companionship, for relationship. And maybe that's with a bunch of people. Maybe that's with one person. Maybe you're an introvert. But they're in part of you craves to be known and to know, to have this intimacy. And this woman craved it strong, but society had cast her into the margins. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the Christ to that. And the Christ, again, means God chose me to come and free you and bring you joy and peace and happiness. That's what the Christ means. And God wants to get alone with you to show you that Jesus is that Christ for your heart. Verse 9, the woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus breaking down societal barriers to get to the heart of what's happening here. You might think that there's something about you that would cause Jesus to not engage you. That's not true. All right? You might think that there's something about you that would cause Jesus to not engage you. The only weapon that the enemy has, you have one enemy and his name is Satan. The only weapon that he has is to get you to believe something about yourself, about your society, or about him that's not true. There's nothing about you that you've done or will do or are doing that will keep Jesus from encountering and engaging you with the fact that he is the Christ for your heart. This woman at the well thought, you can't be with me because of who I am. And it was of no doing of herself. She didn't do anything but but be born to be a Samaritan and cause Jesus to, to be outside of her. But instead, Jesus cuts through that. And again, here's the the beautiful part coming in, in verse 10. Jesus is not concerned with the physical realities of what's happening. He cuts through that. He cuts through the circumstances. Hear me say that. Jesus cuts through the circumstances to get to the heart of what's happening. He cuts through the circumstances of the fact that this is a Samaritan woman with the fact that he is the Christ. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Draw meaning like a bucket or a cup to go down and get water and bring it up. 
You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank of it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is a really, let me insert something parenthetically here. This well was dug by her father Jacob. All of the nation of Israel, the Samaritans, the, 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 the Jews from Judah, the Jews from Israel, all the people had, could trace their lineage back to Jacob, who dug a well in a place at the base of Mount Gerizim so that they could draw water from. And Jacob used it to feed his children and his livestock and all this particular well. And here's the cool part. We could go back today to this spot, and this well exists, and it's still producing water for the region. Really cool, right? So Jesus engages this woman at a place where we could go. And by the way, I would love to do that, right? To go be there where this happened? Seriously? We could go do that, and we could draw water from that well. What are you guys doing next weekend? Uh, It's a long flight, I would imagine. Um, So Jesus engages this woman at this well, and this is a well that is really important to, to her and to her heritage and to her, her nation. And here Jesus is engaging her with that. Uh, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become In him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will never be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's worried about her circumstances and Jesus is worried about her heart. And her heart is different. Um, Throw that that first quote up there, Ben, would you? The, uh, The one, no, the next one, I'm sorry. The second quote. I already skipped past that one. Keep going. It's uh, the sprawl quote. Yeah. There we go. This is the, the particular, this is what Jesus, what Jesus is meaning when he says to him the spring, the eternal life, the water springing up to eternal life. He means when Jesus spoke of this water springing up, he used a word that literally means leaping up. So he said to her, like we, we're coming at this verse Thousands of years later, having read this passage before and understanding what eternal life and etern- what, like the metaphor that Jesus is using. But this woman ha- doesn't have that benefit. What she hears is, this water is leaping up. Like, I can imagine, she's like, looking at the, like, what? Like, what, what do you, I, I don't understand. But he, the, the word that Jesus used is this water is, is leaping up. And here's the, the cool part. The picture he painted was a water so alive, so dynamic, so energetic and powerful that it would not only assuage thirst for a moment, it would begin to pour up out of the soul of the person and continue to nurture him day after day, year after year. This is what Jesus wants to give to this woman at the well, and this is what Jesus wants to give to you. I want to pause just for a second and, and back ourselves out of this particular story with Jesus and a lady at a well, and we're talking about water. And understand this, that what Jesus brings to you, what it means to be the Christ, is this. 
Jesus wants to be the Christ to your heart. You have longings in your heart that God put there. They're good. But we are bad. Our flesh has destroyed us. By nature of who we are and where we were born, we have a fleshly nature in us that is prone to sin. By nature of of what we've done, we move in directions that make it even worse for us. So we're born sinners, and then we choose sin and don't choose God and move away from him and cause ourselves to have pain and hurt and marginalize ourselves. Maybe that looks like societal marginalization, like we have lots of husbands like this woman did. Or maybe it's on in our own particular heart. Like we see the ugliness and grotesqueness of the decisions that we've made and the choices that we made, and we remove ourselves from society or remove our heart from society. And we get so angry with who we are. And we, we feel like we can't approach the kingdom. We can't approach the throne of God because of what we've done and what we've chosen. Here, the woman at the well has no idea what's happening to her. But we do. We have the benefit of years back to reflect. And here's what's happening. Jesus wants to give her this water that will satisfy those needs. Always. And so the longings that we have and our propensity to sin and to, to look outside of the provision of God for those longings has caused us to run away from God. But Jesus is the Christ for your heart. And the decisions and the choices that you've made and the decisions and the choices that you didn't make have warred and worked together to get you to believe that that's not true. And it's wrong. And for this particular woman at the well, if we can connect with her, we see ourselves in her. The decisions that we've made and who we are by virtue of being born has caused us to run away from God. But God has provided his son Jesus as the Christ to free us from that. And it's beautiful. And what it is, is eternal life springing up like water. And he calls those longings our thirst. We don't have to go very long in our lives without water to understand that we're thirsty. Go be active. Go run a mile and Try not to take a drink afterwards. There's a longing in you to crave something. And, and Jesus uses that metaphor, that longing in us to crave a drink. It's what's inside of our hearts. And he tells us he's provided for that forever, for all time. This is what Jesus has done. And it's a beautiful picture. Let's keep going. We're about to get to the idols of this woman's heart. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's aware of her need in her life and aware of Jesus' ability to change, to to meet that need. But she thinks it's a physical need. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said to me is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I want to stop for just a second. Duh. (laughs) 
But let's, let's look beyond the duh and see what just happened here. I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said to me is true. The, the idol of this woman's heart is men relationships. She needs to have people in her life to feel significant. And each one of them is a failure to her. Hear me, please. If you're looking for something to satisfy your heart that's not God, it will fail you and you will fail them. Your husband is not your God. He's terrible. Your wife is not your God. She's terrible. She can't be your God. She will fail you. And worse than that, you'll fail her or you'll fail him. And then you're both broken and jacked up. What she's tried to do is look for something that's not God to fill a void that was supposed to be filled by God. We have a battle waging for us all the time. Ben, throw up, this is kind of out of, out of place, throw up that Tozer quote. This is perfect for where we're getting here. Within the human heart, things have taken over. For the woman at the well, it was a desire to have a man to make her feel significant and give her purpose and meaning and happiness. Within the human heart, within our human hearts, things have taken over. Men have by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. If you search for peace in your heart, it's probably because there's something in your heart And we say heart, but it's not really heart, but it's in your being that craves something that's not God. But what that, the craving is for God, we just don't get it. Just like the woman at the well didn't get it. But there, in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight amongst themselves for first place on the throne. This is idol worship. This is what the woman in the well encountered. And this is what we encounter. Please. I'm no different. I'm no, I've got a microphone strapped to my ear, but I'm no different. I have idols that I wrestle with all the time. You have idols that you wrestle with all the time. Usurpers. People dying to get into the throne room so they could slit the, the throat of the, the one who sits on the throne. And so they can sit on that throne. And none of it can give you peace apart from God. None of it. And we are so good at lying to each other and more importantly, lying to ourselves, convincing ourselves that if we could find the right mate, yes, life would be great. Or if we could just get our children to behave the way that they're supposed to behave, yes. If I could just get this job, yes, that would be it. But it's all lies. They're all usurpers trying to get the place in your heart, the throne of your heart that belongs only to God. And it belongs only to God, not because God has some complex, but because that's the only place you're going to have real joy. And my voice is raising and I'm getting passionate because this is Rick preaching to Rick. It's Vital for all of us to come to grips with. We've got to see it. Because at the end of it is your purpose, your joy, your life, 
your happiness. Do you believe God? Not rhetorical. Do you believe God? Then, like, let's do some battle with our idols then. Just like this woman. We're just like her. Maybe we don't have five husbands, but we've got idols that dictate how we behave. And these idols and the repercussions of these idols will leave us in the margins. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Again, getting to, remember the, the stuff we talked about before, the, the Israel people, the Samaritans worshiped in Samaria at the base of this mountain. The Jews, the southern kingdom people worshiped in Jerusalem. And she's bringing this political battle into play. Again, she's so dumb. Jesus has just presented her with the gospel, eternal life. He has shown her that he is the Christ for her heart. And she's like, wait a second. You say I have to go worship there. My fathers, my religious practice, they have to worship here. Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain, the place where we stand right now where you think you have to worship, nor in Jerusalem, the people where those guys I just sent away who would be ticked off if I was talking to you, think the only place you can worship is there. The time is coming that neither here nor there will be the place where you worship. Verse 22. That was the Rick version, but let's see what the ESV says. <laughs> Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. The hour is coming and is now here. Where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. In other words, you stop trying to get yourself to a place where you can worship God. Stop trying to get yourself to a place where you can destroy the usurpers for your throne. Stop it. There's, God has met you. And this is like, this is the beautiful the part. Jesus orchestrated events he sent his disciples away. He made it hot. He brought it to a place where, where just the two of them were. And she brought her, he brought her to a place where she needed this water so that Jesus could speak to that metaphor and show her who he was, that he was the Christ for her particular heart. And God is orchestrating events today in this moment, he's using your past failures. He's using, your, he's using your past failures. How beautiful is that? Without these five husbands in this woman at the well's life, she doesn't completely connect with her desperate need for something. And she's not brought herself to a place where, you know what? My attempts have all failed. I'm not a good Christ. The, here's, here's your sin and the consequences of your sin. God does not waste a shred of it. 
He uses it to show you that you are a terrible Christ. And so is your husband, and so is your wife, and so are your kids, and so are your parents, and so am I. The fact is, Jesus is orchestrating events to tell you that he is the Christ. And in him alone lies perfection, life, peace, joy that we so crave. In him alone are those things. And it doesn't, there's no amount of, do you know that scripture never celebrates a person cleaning themselves up? Scripture always celebrates God coming in and engaging and cleaning people up. And here's the beautiful part. This woman is an awful adulterer. Right? How long does Jesus spend telling this woman that she's an adulterer? Like a second and a half. Like he looks at her in the face and he says, I know. You don't have a husband because the man that you're with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. I know, I know that you're an adulterer. You and I, if I was counseling this woman, we'd probably spend a lot of time on this adultery issue. We'd probably spend a lot of time, you got to run away from that guy. You got to change your situation. Jesus spends no, all he uses it for is to identify in her that she has a desperate need in her that she can't feel for herself, but I can do it. I can feel it, feel it for you. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And this is the way of Christ. Stop worrying about who you are or what you've done and acknowledge the fact that this is the Christ. And he has orchestrated events to show you as much. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, the most profound verse that we've read today. Maybe the most profound verse you'll read for a long time. Jesus said to her, Jesus is saying to you, I, who you speak to, am he. I, who you speak to, am he. I'm the one. Every craving you've ever had, I will satisfy it. That's what it means to be the Christ. We see this big picture Christ, but I want us to see this intimate Christ. What that means is, to you today. Every craving you've ever had was satisfied in me. And here's the thing. Like, Jesus comes and like right eye to eye says, I'm the Christ of this woman. The very next verse, the very next moment, what happens? Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, who do you seek Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see this man who told me that all that I've ever did, can he be the Christ? They went went out to the town and they were coming to him. Here's the, like this encounter changes everything 
for this woman, but it lasts about maybe three or four minutes. And the, the, the punchline of the story, when Jesus says, I'm the Christ to her, like seconds later, boom, life is happening again. And there's distraction, there's separation, and now she's gone. And if, if this were me, if, if it, like if I was in this counseling situation with this woman and I, and I pointed her to the Christ, and then circumstances happen, I would be freaked out, worried. Did it sink in? Does she understand? Where's she going? Do I need to send a text to her this week? Do I need to sit down with her and her, her, her live-in dude, whatever he is? Like, he, these things are fleeting. The fact is that Jesus is right in front of you right now saying, I'm the, I'm the Christ. But we're going to stand up in a second and we're going to sing some songs and then it's going to be over. And you're going to go back into the disciples coming back and chaos happening. What are you going to do with the fact that Jesus just sat across from you and said, I'm the Christ? Go back to your not husband, whatever that is, your proverbial not husband? Probably. But Jesus wants to tell you that he is the Christ for you and your situation now. Throw that uh, Thomas Aquinas quote up there. We're going to close with this. People desperately search for the things that only God can give them, while at the same time they are fleeing from him. You and I desperately search for something that only God can give us, and at the same time we run from him. We're so dumb. But God is so, like, not giving up. He's pursuing you now. And don't let the tyranny of noon today distract you from that. Because the tyranny of noon today is coming. You're going to get hungry. Your kids are going to get crabby. You're going to get tired. Life is going to happen. Temptation is going to arise. But none of it changes the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And as we walk through the Gospel of John, as you walk through life, be reminded of that. Jesus is the Christ for you. He wants to bring you the joy that you so desperately want. He wants to give it to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for John chapter 4. I thank you for the gospel. God, I pray that you would encounter us in this time this morning, God, as we stand to sing songs to proclaim the truth of what you've done in our hearts, Father. Change us, please, God. Encounter us as you encountered the woman at the well, Father. And open our eyes to hear from you. It's 
in the power of the name of Jesus the Christ. And I pray. Amen.